Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Fishman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, today we're going to talk about things that people are doing wrong with wine, Paul. You know, Rick, we hate people who say things like that. There is no right or wrong. We always say that the people who talk about right and wrong are crazy when it comes to wine. As we should, but in this case, it's the things that snooty psalms and wine servers do wrong. Okay, you mean the guys that won't let us ask for a wine that's smooth? Those guys, yep. Okay, exactly. I got it. Yep. Okay, we're right. good. We're, so that's who we're making fun of today. And also we have questions about foil cutters, port, and more. And some home winemakers ask about headaches and hangovers. You're an expert. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Especially the, uh, well, actually both of those. <laughs> I am a headache. You and, are a headache. And I've had my hangovers. And you've too. given people hangovers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Plus our horrible wine writing has uh, brushy graininess. And I kid you not, aye, aye, aye. some lovely... Uh, diatomaceous earth. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, who doesn't want that in their wine? And as usual, we will make fun of wine snobs. And here we are yet, Paul, still on Capital Public Radio's podcast lineup. Part of National Public Radio, and can you believe it? We're on their recommended list of podcasts. They, um, speaking of hangovers, I think somebody there was drinking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're also on Napa Broadcasting, and network comes out of your home of Napa Valley College. Yeah, Napa Valley College, the, the, number, the leading community college in the state of California, number one. Which is kind of amazing because we're on their air, and you teach and there. And I teach there. And yet they manage to overcome all those things. It boggles the uh, mind. And and don't forget to look for us on all the various social places. Uh, we are at Rick and Paul Wine, and you can ask us a question there or at our website at uh, rickandpaulwine.com. All right, so let's start by saying uh, that we're talking about a small percentage of the psalms that we don't like. Most of the psalms, most of the servers are pretty good. Well, you like some more than others, and I like some more than others, but psalms are psalms, and there are good psalms and, and bad psalms. And they're hardworking, and, and yeah. um, we're going to give them. But there are yeah. bad apples, and that's who we're, we're okay, focusing. Okay, we're after the bad apples, we are after not the, bad, the Macintoshes. We are apple hunting. Okay. Um, and they seem to believe their job is to make people uncomfortable when they're just, those poor folks are just trying to order wine. Right. So, so let's start with this one. And actually, my cousin asked me about this because he ran across this, and he thought, is this a good idea? And this is decidedly not. Okay. It's like standing at attention, holding one hand behind your back as you hold out your bottle to present the wine. So you kind of look like uh, a, a, a puppet or something. Uh, or Yeah. It's, you expect a, I expect like a, a wooden soldier. A wooden soldier. Exactly. Yes, yeah. Yes. Which is, and it's funny because, you know, one of the things that Psalms are trained to do is carry a towel on one arm, of course, that in case anything, God forbid, they spill a little wine or something. So they put the towel behind them so they can't use it. They drape it over the head. Drape it over their heads. Yes. <laughs> or maybe just over the customer and that way they can have a blind tasting. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's that's uh, <laughs> it's, it's my one. What? Uh, okay, so how about Psalms who believe that their job is to educate the consumer yes. by trying to get them to drink something better than a popular wine that the consumer really wants to drink, or whatever they just wanted to drink. Yeah, yeah. whatever they ordered. No, no, get this. Yes. No. D yeah. Yes. I'm sorry. We don't carry that, but we have something that tastes different. That we're going to make you drink instead. And how often do we see the uh, snooty wine writer who's talking to the snooty psalm asking that question? So how do you educate your customers? Yes, how do you educate your customers? Yeah. yeah. And the answer is, well, after, after a few years of educating my customers, I don't have any left. <laughs> yeah. There you go. They've all graduated. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah you, you, nobody ever asks that of a chef. Right. 
Well, and then the chef says, well, I, I take out the chicken and I take it apart in front of him. <laughs> right. So here's another, here's another bad one. And, and we've seen much of this, in, is, which is not asking their customers questions, such as, what do you like? Right. Or I, I, there's actually another one in the not asking, which is asking your customers, I would argue, how many, how many people want to see the wine list? Right, because at many tables, it's more than one person who'd right. like to see the wine list. Right. And then they got to pass it around, and it knocks over glasses, and they're juggling menus. and Yeah. So, you know, it's like giving them one food menu. Right. All right. Right. Well, and then if it's a really good restaurant, they turn the lights down. <laughs> <laughs> now you're, so, sh- you're showing your age now, So Paul. you can't read it anyway. <laughs> That's right. Or, but tied into not asking any questions is not actually listening to the customer to right. understand right. what their level of expertise right. is or even their interest in wine. So they're just going to make recommendations based on what the psalm likes rather than what the people like. Right. That's That one's actually a very common one, and that's it's, it's a really pretty bad one, too, because yeah. that's you know, your your job is at that point. You, I mean, almost not like, at that point, right? Throughout your job the whole, is yeah. always. I'm saying as as they are asking the questions that they're not asking, right? <laughs> is to really play. You know, you are you're an, you're adapting. Your job is to find out what it is that how they are, what they think. And, and your job and, is and to make them. them happy and make them happy. Right. Yes, and right. you can't make them happy if you don't know them. Right. Right. Yep. Well, I would yep. tell them a good joke. Yeah. With your jokes, Rick, I would stick with porn and wine. No, I would just make fun of you then. That would work. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's another one that I, okay, I just think is terrible, and this is like one of the absolute requirements of wine service, pouring all the women first. It's simply sexist. It is, and it's, you know, it's that awkward little situation, again, of the, 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 the interface between manners and, and being sexist. Do you open a door for a woman? I open the door for everybody. Well, not okay. not for you, but when was the last time I'm usually braced against the door? When was the last time you opened a door no, for I, me? I had my shoulder against the door tonight. You, know, <laughs> you managed to muscle your way in, though. <laughs> it is the same question. Yeah, I know. Do you open doors for women? Do you pour the women first? I, um, I will argue. It doesn't bother me as the, much. The wine business is so sexist in so many ways, uh, and less so than it used to be. But you know, there's just a, this yes. macho ness to it, and so uh, uh. this is one of the places. I, I find I'll, I'll I'll take responsibility you for this criticism. You just want to get your wine before your wife. Well, there's that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, how about um, describing the wine with a fruit cocktail? <laughs> oh of yeah, flavor description. Yes, like our horrible wine writing, which you're going to hear in. in yeah, a yeah, bit. yeah. <laughs> Bing cherry, black cherry, boysenberry, raspberry, plum, and an assortment of other red and black yeah. fruits dominate the nose, and you think, dear God. Yeah, and meanwhile, with Scotty, the cu- beam me out of here. And what their customer really want to know is: is this wine smooth? Is it smooth? Yeah. Does it taste good? That's yeah. right. Yep. Yeah, and then there's this uh, because of that. Uh, the question about the, as my cousin pointed out, the the, the wooden marionette, the wooden toy soldier with the arm out in front. Um, I looked up uh, some some pretty well well regarded uh, service manuals right. about, about how to do it, and here's a few of the things that they suggest. These are the pieces of advice for mm-hmm. popular manners. One of them is the server should wrap the bottle in a clean linen wrap napkin to protect it from the warmth of their hands. Yeah, that's probably unnecessary, particularly because on the one hand, if you're opening it, you actually want to have a fairly good grip on the bottle. Yeah. You don't want to just have it slipping around in a napkin. And, you know, of course, one of the things you're trained to do, I, I think it's on your list here somewhere, Rick, is that you're always supposed to keep the label 
facing yes, the well, customer. Yes, well, that's the next one. Yeah, well, yeah, if yeah. you wrap the the bottle in a napkin, it doesn't matter which direction the label points because it's underneath the napkin. And you're, for the the time it takes to open the wine bottle, you're, you're not going to change the temperature you know, Rick, of that bottle I too much. I think I have heard stories about your hot little hands. Well, there's that's true. I am. I am. A, that you have lit a, many a wine bottle on fire. I'm a spicy one, Paul. But <laughs> that one's just silly. But there is that next point you're saying is that you're supposed to keep the label pointing towards the person who ordered the wine the whole time. You, you're, uh, and this is okay. Right. Sure. It's part of the ritual. But once again, we're talking about missing the forest for the trees. Uh, you know, why don't we say? Be nice to the table. <laughs> right. Talk to the table, right. as opposed to pointing the the, the well, label at them. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make a slight distinction here because some of the things you're talking about are actually really good service at a white tablecloth restaurant that you go to with a bottle of wine that you've brought from your 10th anniversary. I think this is the way it should be done, but. Every restaurant ought to do the things you're talking about. Well, that's true. And but what I'm saying too is that this these service manuals did not mention all. They the stuff don't that we're mention talking. all the stuff that we talk about about listening to the customer, making them happy. It's all has to do with logistics and mechanics, and none of it has to do with actually paying attention to the customer. Right, right, right. And one of the, the regular things is that you are absolutely required to pour uh, a clockwise pattern. Right. Uh, because yes. you know, if you go counterclockwise, you know what happens. The toilet flushes backwards. No, it, it, you taste the counterclockwise in the wine. <laughs> it's 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 horrible. It's horrible. But south of the equator, you go counterclockwise. You're right. Right. Yeah. Plus, you have to hop on your left foot. <laughs> right. That's only if your name is Eileen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Now we're getting silly. How unusual for us. Yeah, there's right. a So here's, I got one more, and you're going to love this one, Paul. Okay. When serving a single glass of wine, deliver by holding the glass by the flat base as to not warm the wine. It's the secret handshake of the wine elite. You know, Rick, this is why you have never been invited to join the wine elite, because you don't I, know the secret handshake. Apparently, because I was doing that thing where you put your thumb on your nose and wiggle your fingers. <laughs> right. I guess and then you'd bang your elbows together. Yeah. And, and yeah. The no. clucking probably didn't help either. <laughs> Holding the wine by the base, which is very convenient because then when you put it on the table, your fingers are in the yes, way. Yes, right. There's, so, I, you know, we, if, you, if you haven't heard us do this before, if there's one single uh, image of the idiot wine snob, it's the person walking around the party holding the wine by the base. By the base, yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, the stem is going to make it so much warmer. For That's, right. That's right. That's right. It's, it's, it's yeah. A, yeah, the secret handshake. The secret handshake it's, of the it's, wine it's elite. Actually, no, they got they they have elite spelled wrong. It's supposed to be idiot. <laughs> the wine idiot. Yeah, there you that's go. Secret, all right. That's right. Well, there's lots more of that kind of stuff. But speaking of idiots, some. By <laughs> the way, by the way, one of the it's very funny. I, I did a uh, a seminar recently about Bordeaux wines with a really good friend of mine who's a master sommelier in New York, and I was showing the group how to open a bottle of wine. And of course, you know, you're trained in sommelier training not to put the wine. Don't on put it the, on the table. Don't right. put yeah, it yeah. on the table. Yeah. And he said, depends on the age of the wine. Because he said an older wine that's got sediment in it, you absolutely don't want to shake it around. Right. You want to right. rest it carefully Keep on the table. The so yeah. in addition to everything else, you got to know whether it's seven years old or eight years old. Because seven, you hold it up in the air. Eight, got to be down on the ground. I, on the I would table. argue it also depends on the size of the bottle. 
Well, yes, those you, those ten liter bottles. Yeah. You're going to let them sit on the table. No, you have to carry that one. That's, <laughs> you, have, you have to show how tough you are. <laughs> well, yeah. we have a few people that are going to show how tough they are because they asked us questions, Paul. So are they tough questions? They, no, they're just tough for putting up with us answering them. <laughs> so that's what we're doing here. And if you'd like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com. That's our website, or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Our handle is at Rick and Paul Wine. We are also on Apple Podcasts. So this is from uh, Larry in West Hartford, Connecticut. Uh-huh. <clears throat> I, I, I should uh, need to point out that it's the very same cousin who asked about the uh, uh, the, the, the arm, the guy with the arm behind him and the whole thing. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. So, so he, okay. he had a couple questions. Yeah. So my cousin is a very nice person. And he said, at a restaurant, am I tasting the wine to see if I like it or something else? They never actually tell me when they're pouring it, like I'm supposed to have learned their game before I came in. Well, um, first of all, yes, you're supposed to have learned their game before you go in. Yes, and they will slap you if you don't. That's right. And if you do it wrong, they'll charge you double. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That explains the the wine bill. It's so huge. You didn't hear that much. (laughs) Yeah. No. So first of all, Larry, you're tasting specifically for flaws, and there's one exception there. But generally, you're tasting it to see that it doesn't smell moldy. That it doesn't smell tired and oxidized, smell like a you know a, 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 a caramel or something, which would indicate the fruit's oxidized, and it shouldn't uh, be too warm or too cold. Those are the kinds of things you're tasting for. Right. There's one other case where you're tasting for whether you like the wine or not, which is if you walk into a restaurant and, and you say, "Mr. Rick, suggested. I love." this particular kind of Chardonnay, and I'd like something off your list that tastes exactly like this wine that I well, like. Let, let me suggest a Chateau Rick and Paul. You'll a Chateau it. Rick and Paul, and they bring <clears throat> the Chateau Rick and Paul, and you taste it, and you look at the sommelier, and you say, this wine is dreadful. Where did you get this Chateau Rick and Paul? And it would turn out to be it was my backyard. It would the, be your yeah. backyard. Now, the other yeah. thing, too, if for anybody, it, you know, it really is if you're unsure that you're thinking, you know, this really doesn't seem like it's the way a wine should taste. Yep. Ask ask your server or your psalm to taste it. And, and generally, if they're good at their job, they will help you decide. And, and They will help you and, decide. And, and, and actually give you the benefit of the doubt. And there is another uh, suggestion here. If you are pretty sure that this wine doesn't taste good and the psalm isn't paying attention to you, ask them to open a second bottle. Because if the first one is bad, the second one will taste quite different. And then you've made your point. And if the second one tastes the same as the first and it's just the way the wine tastes and it's perfectly good, the restaurant can usually sell that wine by the glass. They, they won't lose their the money on it. Yeah. That, that's um, actually, that's always a thing, too. And it's one of the reasons why we have argued in the past for, you know, when it really get down to it with the wine, if at all possible, is to give customers a taste. But um, Yeah. Right. And it's one of the reasons Rick is not allowed in many restaurants in California. These <laughs> that's true. Well, that's many reasons, yes. <laughs> right, so, so we have two questions uh, from Robin Esther. Uh, it's Robin Esther Pock and Lincoln, and I'm calling out their last names only because they are really, really good friends of the show. Uh-huh. And I've met them a couple of times at some of their home winemakers as well. And, and so this is Lincoln, California, California, not Lincoln, California. Nebraska. No. Lincoln, okay, California, good. up in the Hills here. Yep, yep. Uh, and also, I we, we are reading their uh, initial comment, which is uh, a, a wise comment. Uh-huh. We love your show and look forward to each episode. Uh, Rob and Esther are what, two. Did you say these people, which institution did no, you say these are, people were, are, had been committed they're to? They're out 
walking around. <laughs> All right. So they have they have uh, they have two questions. One of them is: Over the years, we've been making homemade wines from our vineyard, and we've noticed that some of our friends who do not drink red wines because of headaches and other reactions do not have the similar reactions when they drink our wines. Good. We're no experts by any means, but our hypothesis: we use no finding agents for clarifying the wine. And we apply only minimal amounts of sulfite as a preservative. We're very traditional in our winemaking practice. Are there any studies that would support our hypothesis that manufactured commercial wines have a higher likelihood of causing ill health reactions than small boutique or small volume wine producers? And the answer is actually there have been over the years, and they all come out the same. Everything yeah. comes out the same. Everything comes out the same. There yeah. is no difference between the larger commercial, chemically larger commercial wineries and the small. Now, uh, there, there is a difference in the way people drink wine. When you are drinking a wine with the person who made it and you know they put their heart and soul into it, you have a tendency to sip it and taste it and drink it a little more carefully. And sometimes when you're just sitting with Rick watching the Dodgers beat the Giants and you're frustrated and you're drinking a commercial wine, you just pour it down your throat to forget your troubles. I've, I've and noticed, I, will, I will tell you, the second way will always give you a worse Yeah, I, I've noticed that when people sit with me, they tend to drink a lot. They tend to drink a I lot. And, and I will tell you this, Rick, if you think you give them a headache, the next morning yeah. it's even worse. Sometimes they just call for shots. <laughs> oh, here goes Rick. No, no. When they say, just shoot me, that yeah. doesn't mean they want a shot, yeah. Rick. And the other part of that, too, is that sulfites, and we get this question a lot, sulfites, uh, really there's a very small percentage of folks who have any kind of sulfite allergies at all. And if they do... It is not a headache thing. It's not a headache. It's, Headaches are pretty much alcohol and histamines. Yeah. And there are there's plenty of things in wine. In fact, I've seen studies that say there are more than 200 compounds in wine right. that can cause a headache, um, but often it is some version of the histamine. And our friend alcohol can do that, too. So it's yep. also possible, Robin, Esther, that you guys are making slightly lower alcohol wines, which is probably more that likely, That is too. absolutely possible. Yeah, right. Now, is... Isn't didn't we have a guy by the name of Alcohol on the train on the show earlier? All right, we're not doing that kind of dumb joke. <laughs> we're moving along. <laughs> no. Paul, no, no dumb jokes. No well, dumb. yeah, good too luck late, with us. Rick. Too All late. Right. So here's their second question, and this is an interesting one too. And I know the answer to this one. We sort of just talked about it. Is okay. They say we travel in Europe often. And we sample wines from whatever region we visit. We have never experienced a hangover from European wines like we do if we drink a little too much California wine. Any thoughts? Well, this one's pretty clear. And it's the same answer, yes. really, which yep. is European wines in general usually are maybe a little less alcoholic. Right. But you also, in Europe, tend to be a little more careful about how much you drink in front of other people. And that combination means you're just putting less alcohol in your body. Yeah. And as a result, you're having less alcoholic effects. It is almost most certainly the alcohol level that, that makes the difference because that really is the only difference. And, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes folks talk, bring up sulfites again, but it's just a labeling issue. There's exactly the same amount of sulfites right. in a, a wine right. in Europe as and, in And it, I, I should point out that the more expensive the wine in Europe, the more likely the alcohol levels are going to be very ca comparable to California wines. Right. It's the less expensive wines right. in Europe that will be lower alcohol, whereas less expensive California wines, our grapes get ripe wherever we grow them, and they will always have a, a, a relatively substantial alcohol level. Right. Uh, on the other hand, I think just being on vacation in Europe m makes everything go down better, too. It does. All right. Well, so we should be we should be in Europe. People listen to us in Europe. We will go down better. All right. <laughs> uh, well, here's some things that never go down really well. Coming up next is some really horrible wine writing. Oh, boy. I'm saying the musical clear headache, though. <laughs> All right, Paul. 
So okay. for some horrible, horrible wine writing, what do you got? I've got this one. The Brut Champagne is a blend of Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and Pinot Meunier, sourced from vineyards located in Verzenay. The wine starts off with lovely diatomaceous earth, followed by lemon curd and brioche on the nose. The palate shows a really nice citrus fruit with kumquat, lemon oil, sourdough bread, and a light, musty earth flavor. Lovely diatomaceous earth. Lovely. Earth was lovely. Well, in fact, it's a slightly musty earth flavor, so I think this is the perfect wine to drink the day after your funeral. (laughs) (laughs) Your own funeral? Your own funeral. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? Why not? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, the lemon curd and brioche sounds nice, but I don't want to drink any wine with diatomaceous earth. Now, diatomaceous earth, to be clear is a fining agent that you filter the wine through, and it's a kind of clay. And when you filter the wine through the clay, the clay, just like a charcoal filter, the clay filter pulls off the sediment off the wine, so it's clear on the other side. But if the wine tastes like diatomaceous earth, I would ask for a, a, a new bottle or my money back. Yeah, there's, there's a, a back to Larry's question about what are you tasting for. I think if you're tasting for the fining agent and the, yeah. earth, the earth yeah. shows up, yeah, it's... And, once again, that finding nature is is a filtering mechanism when it yeah, is. Yeah, it's it goes not supposed through. to get in the wine. It's supposed to be right. left behind in the filter. Yeah, right. So, so what do you have? I have. Uh, this is from Ballista Cabernets. Um, <clears throat> this is mm. a grainy herbal red wine. And, and I should I should point out this was list the cabernet like here's here's our five cabernets and we're going to describe them. Oh, so this is this is somebody actually trying to sell this wine. Yes. Well, well, it, no, it's a I think it's a critic describing five oh, okay. five cabernets. Okay. But we know it's cabernet. So this okay. is this is a, gra- a grainy herbal red wine, boldly tannic and inviting and perfumed oak and pencil. It takes on mountain airs of oregano, clove and tobacco with a brushy graininess that adds intrigue. Blackberry, black cherry and currant give a tart fruitiness to the flavor. Boy, right, that so, is just weird. So, first off, it's a pretty grainy wine. It is. It's got grainy herbal. It's grainy, and it's I, got graininess, too. I don't know what a grainy wine is unless there's, like, actual salt or grainy grains in there. Maybe yeah. there's corn. Corn in the wine. <laughs> Wheaties. Yeah. This wine's so, been eating its Wheaties. I also like, it takes on mountain airs. It takes on mountain airs. Like, you know, Don't you take airs. any mountain airs with me, <laughs> yes. young man. And, and they are oregano, clove, and tobacco. Right. Now, oregano could conceivably grow in the foothills, but a mountain, but tobacco doesn't and clove doesn't. Yeah. So mountain airs with jungle humidity. I think, yeah, or mountaineers would be like, brushy you know, wood smoke at night or something. Brushy. A brushy graininess. Not just a graininess. This is a brushy a graininess. Brushy this is where you, you take your grains and you brush them. I don't know what this means. <laughs> I, so this did not help me. Yeah. If I'm choosing cabs, I'm not choosing this one because I've never been a fan of brushy graininess. <laughs> All right. Let's get back to a couple of questions before we, before we, we laugh before, ourselves I was going to say before this. while we still have a fan or two. <laughs> well, or at least uh, people who tolerate us. Good. So this one is from Carly in Lodi. She Excellent. says, what's the deal with cutting open the bottle? I use a foil cutter, but my boyfriend says that's uncool and I should cut it under the lip thing. Does it matter? Okay, so I have a great story to tell about this, Rick, if we have about 45 minutes. Okay. Well, thank you for listening to Bottle Talk. <laughs> this was- now, last week, week before last, I was in New York with the president of the Union de Grand Cru de Bordeaux. The- that's the That's the... That's the Vintners Association of the, the yeah, but the, of the high, uh, end the, high end, the top right. chateaus in Bordeaux. Yes, the, 
And my job had been to organize the staff to go around and cut the foils on all the bottles. And we have for 20 years always cut the foils underneath the lip, as Carly's boyfriend suggests, because that's the way you're trained to do it, both in Bordeaux and in the Somme manual. So we just did it. that Always did it that way. The president calls me over. And he says, what are you doing? And I said, we're opening the blah, blah, blah. Explain. He says, yes, you are cutting in the wrong place. And I said, Olivier, it's the way the Psalms are trained to do it. We've been doing this for, for 20 years. He says, and you have been doing it wrong. 20 years ago, this was correct because the capsules were made with lead and you wanted to cut them down there to prevent any wine from touching the lead capsule. But there is no lead in the capsules today. You should cut them at the top. It's much cleaner. It's much more efficient. So now you have Master Psalms and the president of the Union de Grand Cru de Bordeaux on either side of the battle, Carly Pick your champion and fight to the death. Yeah, yeah. I'd say fight with the foil cutters. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, if you have a good foil cutter, it's so easy just to use that and get your wide open. So don't worry about it. It is. You know, <clears throat> the other option is just yank the foil off. No, Rick. Nope. No. That's Sometimes it doesn't come off, but no. then the bottle flies across the room. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is, though. It is, you know, the, it is psalm training. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. They teach you that. Yeah. <clears throat> Unfortunately, um, it, it shouldn't matter, really. It shouldn't matter. Either way works. However, if you do cut it, you need to cut it clockwise. <laughs> <laughs> okay, never mind. From the right. <clears throat> from the right, From yes. the right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and our next question is from Susan in Placerville, and she says, isn't port a dessert wine? There's a lot of the wineries around here. Placerville, is, if folks are not familiar with this part of the country, it's the foothills around, uh, east of Sacramento, yep. up into Gold and Country. And they make some nice Zinfandels and some nice... Port style wines, and so she says. There's a lot of that, a lot of that around, at wineries around here, and they always talk about it like that, or, or serve it, but like that she means dessert, or serve it with chocolate. One yep. of my friends in the, is a wine buyer, and he says it's for appetizers, or even can go with dinner. So the answer is the sing. If you ask the Portuguese who buys the most port in the world from them, they will tell you it's the French and it's used as an aperitif. And it goes with really, you know, the French rich appetizer type stuff too is, you know, that they're, uh, but it is, yeah, it's, okay. it's a great way to start a meal. Although I would argue, yes, I would argue just, as, just a, as a food guy, no, you know, sometimes the starting a meal with something so sweet can affect your palate a little bit. Well, but one of the, one of the hot new trends in Portugal, and I've seen it on the East Coast now, is a white port, not a red port, mm-hmm. a white port, and soda. And it makes an aperitif, mm-hmm. and it's fun, and it's a great way to start a meal. Sure. And, you know, we talk about wines that go well with things like spicy food, yep. tend, tend a little sweetness to that. And you yep. could actually see um, a lighter port and a vinaigrette for the same reason, sort of the, the snap of the vinaigrette and the sweetness of the port. Yeah, it scares yeah. me a little with the spiciness because the alcohol in port tends to make spiciness true. taste true, really true, true. hot. Yeah, so maybe, maybe, more the, maybe more the acidity of something like a vinaigrette. So it's, you know, it is, um, it's going to go back to our one. Uh, one of our fundamental rules, which is if you love it, you're right. If you hate it, you're right. You get to drink it anyway. You, you like it. Our rather fundamental. I'll have a glass of port to that. Yes. The other fundamental rule is wear dark colors. <laughs> I think that's it. I think. No. Always open the small end of the bottle. Well, that one too. From the left. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that is going to be it uh, for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our producer is Devin Cortan, who puts up with an awful lot. Thank you, Devin. Our associate producer is Jeremy Marin. Thank you to Capital Public Radio for allowing us to uh, 
debase your studios and your podcast. <laughs> do they podcast fumigate lineup. after we they, leave? They often do, yeah. <laughs> uh, and look for us and ask us a question at rickandpaulwine.com or Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at, at rickandpaulwine. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's that good wine service helps you enjoy your experience and gets you wine you like. And the other one is never stand holding out a bottle with one hand behind you. It's embarrassing for everybody. Plus, I think people can push you over. (laughs) I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. Remember, the best wines are the wines you drink with friends. Or with us. Especially us.